Around 750 million people live on the European continent. So what about it? What will its future look like? Will there ever be a United States of Europe? For this and more, you will hear from European thought leaders, artists, civil society representatives, and all those who care about its future. You will receive key insights into the ways Europe is changing and how your voice can be part of this. I am Paolo De Stilo, and you're listening to Europe Matters. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm joined by a recurring guest at Europe Matters. Uh, we've had Alberto last year in our clubhouse rooms. However, for the ones who don't know Alberto Alemanno, uh, here's a small introduction to Alberto. So, Alberto is a professor in European law at the École d'Études Commerciales of Paris, which is the business school of Paris. And he's also the founder of the Good Lobby, and he was named this year Social Innovation Thought Leader of the Year at the World Economic Forum. He's very busy, so uh, I'm very happy that he's uh, accepted this invitation, and Alberto has been very much involved also with one of the main events of the European Union of the past year, which is the Conference on the Future of Europe, which we will delve into in a bit. Ciao Alberto, thank you very much for joining in. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. Great. Our listeners know you are always everywhere and you have been also in Paris a week ago. And was that also involved with the Conference on the Future of Europe or was that for other AU affairs. I was in Paris to 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 meet my students. Uh, I was in the classroom to meet a few colleagues uh, and also a few political leaders who are very much involved in the Conference on the Future of Europe in the context of the French presidency. So that's why I was in Paris. <laughs> Fantastic. And the conference is about to end, right? So it's the twentieth of February is going to end this one year long uh, conference. I know you've already explained it many times, but what is it? What's this COFOE that many people talk about? Well, the Conference on the Future of Europe is an attempt um, at uh, gathering as many input as possible from European citizens and residents in order to understand what future direction the EU should take. It is a three-level structure. There is a platform where Everybody, even outside of Europe, can submit ideas. There's a second level that basically 
present those ideas to 800 citizens who have been randomly selected coming from all over Europe and processing those ideas and deliberating about them and formulating recommendations, a set of recommendations that will reach the third level, which is called the plenary of the Conference on the Future of Europe, which is made for the first time in history of both citizens who have been randomly selected uh, coming from the second level, the citizens' assembly, and political leaders, politicians, talking, discussing, and then together they are expected, probably as of March, uh, to come up with a final set of recommendations, which will probably distill the original citizens' recommendation into a shorter list, and this will be presented to the European Council, so basically to the head of state and government, we'll have to decide what to do uh, with those recommendations, and this will be the moment of truth. We'll have European citizens be listened to, or, or this is just a cosmetic exercise to make everybody feel better about European democracy. This will be the difficult question to answer. Did you find it, it was a cosmetic addition when you went to Florence, for example, to one of the citizen panels that you have participated in? Well, my perspective as, as an academic and an activist on, on Europe has been that of skepticism uh, three years ago when this idea was floated for the first time by President Macron and then taken up by Ursula von der Leyen. I wrote a Guardian piece, uh, very critical, saying, well, you're not going to make Europe from top down, right? You're, you, 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 need, you need to flip the logic. We need to have citizens setting the agenda and framing the exercise. And then because of COVID, there was a major delay and the institutions have been doing their homework. And the old logic, I think, has been improving over time. So I was in Florence as an um, expert, as an observer to the process, guaranteeing the quality of the procedure and I must say, I felt something magic. It was extraordinary for somebody like me who has been in European affairs, European studies for over 20 years, to spend time with citizens who come from all over, all over Europe, belonging to different socioeconomics. Some people had a university degree. Most of them, they didn't because they reflect supposedly the diversity we have in our society. And this group was much more diverse, real, and incredibly committed to finally have the chance to say what they expect from Europe, from their political leaders. And, and this is an incredible um, experience that I really hope will turn into major follow-up processes in the future. My dream would be, and that's what I'm working on with my academic hat, but also with that of an advocate, towards the institutionalization of citizens' assembly. So to imagine that as of 2023, not only the parliament, the council, and the commission will be our decision makers, but they will also be assisted by a permanent citizens' assembly made of European residents advising European leaders on what is felt on the ground, what is like to be Europe, what is the European life, what is the direction uh, that citizens expect the EU to take. And this humanization of Europe might actually occur by relying on this form of deliberative democracy that we are experimenting now through the Conference of the Future of Europe. So it becomes a kind of a participatory way of having a democracy, right? So it's more in certain ways, uh, Europe, as you often advocate for, is that Europe is more democratic than it looks like, right? So this participatory action, do you think that this, from what you just said, right, can also lay the basis for new ways of having a more democratic Europe? 
well, democracy is not something static, right? Is is a is a sum of practices that take place in a particular historical moment and they keep evolving. So if you look at democracy through that lens, it's pretty clear that current practices of representative democracy are no longer able to do their job. That means to represent people in an inclusive way so that government will respond to those desiderata, to those preferences. So we need to reinvent democracy and Europe is very well placed to become what Calypso, Nicolaitis and I have recently called uh, uh, citizens' Europe power. This idea that Europe has to become a power, a strategic power, thanks to the citizens' input. And the way to do so is to allow Europe to experiment much more new democratic practices, including, but not exclusively, deliberative democracy, meaning having citizens who are randomly selected, ordinary citizens, for a short period of time through sortition to provide advice to policymakers. I think this, based on the current literature, we know could have a disrupting effect on the political class. It will increase accountability on what decision makers do and will also create much more responsiveness between the system of government and citizens' expectation. But there are many other approaches, as you know, uh, or those who had the chance to read my work around citizen lobbying. Um, we also have the possibility as citizens to provide input into day-to-day decision-making by filing petitions, taking part to consultations, writing letters uh, to our political leaders, trying to meet them. And citizen lobbying together with citizens' assembly can together uh, improve the state of, of democracy. Um, there is also one that I could also mention, which is called participatory budgeting. So why don't we get more citizens involved in the decision on how we allocate and use uh, public funds. So Next Generation EU is this mega uh, project uh, uh, emerging out of the COVID pandemic and citizens have no voice whatsoever. It was a very much top-down process in which the national plan, which each government to put forward in order to get a green light from the commission and the council were really much done in, in the ministries of, of, of European capitals. Why not to open up to citizens at least a percentage of those funds in the same way the city of Paris, the city of Berlin, the city of Madrid are doing now, where 20-30% of the annual budget is allocated based on the preferences that citizens who show up uh, are, are giving. So we need more cycle path, we need more schools, uh, we, we need to fix um, some infrastructure that exists in, in, in a particular city. These approaches are probably the future of, of democracy and Europe can become a champion of those by setting the standard for many other regions of the world. They still look at Europe as a champion despite all its limitations uh, of, uh, democratic, uh, of democratic dynamics. So this is a possible option, right? But at the same time, you also mentioned petitions just so that our listeners know what is out there. A petition at the European Parliament, right? You can petition something if you have around a million signatures. Is that correct? Yes, the, the European Union has, uh, based on my own research, over the years provided so many opportunities of participation which are not necessarily well-developed at the national level. So, for instance, every time the European Union proposes a new initiative, it might be a policy, it might be a, a white paper, 
it might be just an idea on moving into a particular space, is subject to an obligation to open up for consultation. That means that each of us can actually contribute to that. Uh, no other European country has the same level of consultation. Another instrument you mentioned is the petition. So if there's something you want to draw the attention to the European Union, you can actually file a little form, fill up a form on the PETI petition webpage, which is quite user-friendly. It looks like Facebook in a way with, with less pictures. And you actually draw the attention of the European Parliament on that problem. And this is powerful. It's a one-stop shop for any problem you might actually have to draw the attention of your policymakers. And then finally, there is the European Citizen Initiative, which is a transnational instrument of democracy allowing seven European citizens. So you and your friends coming from other countries, you can come together, register this and say, hey, we expect the European Union to do more on climate. We expect the European Union to uh, avoid a gender pay gap because women continue to be paid less than men. They should do more. So your ideas would become this petition. And if you manage to collect one million signature, well, then the European institution are expected to respond to you. All those avenues of participation, they look great on paper, but they are little known, very few people know, and very few people use it. So what Europe would look like if all these avenues of participation had been used more, and this is a bit my research team at the moment. Over the last 10 years, I've been writing books, articles, trying to figure out how Europe would look like if citizens had the opportunity in their daily life to actually engage with decision makers, not only at the local level and national, but also at the European level. And, and this is the kind of culture we are trying to foster with my organization, with the good lobby. But there's a broader ecosystem of democratic, pro-democracy organization, including your own media outlet, that really try to foster this, this dynamic. Yes. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're always very hopeful in the, the ways of uh, Europe is changing and it's uh, going towards. And one of the things that you also mentioned at the beginning was skepticism towards this conference on the future of Europe. And a year ago, in our clubhouse room that we had, you were also quite skeptical Hopeful still, but also skeptical because when the panel, the, the digital platform arrived, opened up in May of uh, last year, it, it, it didn't look like it was something that very appealing or at least people would access to. But now from what I understand is that you are quite satisfied with what is being done. Of course, the big question will be how all this data, all this information, all these suggestions will be dealt with. So my question is, who's going to decide? Who's going to decide what to do with these suggestions? This is the, the, the $6 million question, right? What, what is going to happen once a deliberative process like the Citizens Assembly come out with recommendations? We already have 130 recommendations ready. We're probably going to reach 200. What's going to happen to that? So how this participatory output will feed into the representative word, so the word of politics. And these are have been historically what I call ships passing at night, right? You have the citizens asking for something, petitioning. We want to stop glyphosate, which is a pesticide. We want to stop the transatlantic trade investment partnership. We want uh, more equal society. And all these input, they kind of uh, uh, fall on deaf ears because the political class is not able to transform this demand into policy outcomes. And here, because of the Conference on the Future of Europe, the politicians and the citizens will be in the same room. So it will be very difficult for the politicians to sneak out or not to respond to the citizens' demand. So in my recent article unboxing the Conference on the Future of Europe, I really tried to make the claim that for the first time, the institutions have developed a process that will be very difficult to remain in control of. So this conference will become a sort of Trojan horse or a Pandora's box. That once you open, it will be impossible to somehow, you know, put it back those ideas. It will be irreversible. Huh? So this is the hope. The hope is that once those ideas, some of them are very federalist, some of them say, well, we need the United States of Europe, an idea which is pretty much dear to, to you, I, I know, to this community. The idea of Europeanizing the political process, the idea of creating European referenda, allowing all the citizens at the same time to, to, to have a say. Citizens are hunger for more information about what the European Union does. All these information are not a prerogative of, of pro-Europeans. They are a prerogative of any citizens who is curious to understand what's happening in my life and who is deciding for my life chances, right? So all these dynamics is already out of the box. We need to make sure that the accountability will be as important as to force political leaders to take a stance on this proposal. What political party Y and political representative X thinks of Europeanizing the political competition by having genuine European political party? Uh, what politician Z uh, will be thinking about having the European Union becoming a source and a provider of welfare by creating minimum wage system uh, through the EU. All these ideas now are out there 
And in my interpretation, um, and that's the source of my optimism, uh, will remain out there. It will be impossible to put them back in the box. To put them back in the box. I often talk about the genie. You know, you have this beautiful lamp. You play around. The genie's out. How you put the jump the, the genie back into the lamp? I don't think it would be possible. And and this would be probably a long term process. It will take a while. But you know, in 2024, we're going to have new elections of the parliament in Europe. And those ideas will still be there and will be feeding and shaping the political programs um, across 27 countries all at the same time. It's incredible. And one of the things was that the initial plan was it would be two years, right? The conference, it would last for two years long. However, due to the COVID pandemic, it became one or less than one, more 10 months and there was a huge effort from all the three main institutions, the European Parliament, the European Commission, and the European Council. The thing is that now, another question beyond the the fact that it's ending and we don't know what's going to happen with these suggestions, is will there be another conference or will it be something more uh, structural that, as you are mentioning, that maybe this Pandora vase that has been opened will stay on longer? Do you think that they will again team up and have in five years' time another conference on the future of Europe? I think it would be very difficult to turn a blind eye to this experiment, both in terms of ideas that it generated because of the reason I mentioned earlier on and this kind of dynamic, which is kind of reversible, but also in terms of process. So, you know, more and more citizens have experienced that. They did their mini Erasmus Despite the fact they didn't go to universities, they felt what it's like to be European. They conveyed this to the media. And, you know, in the coming months, we can expect a bit more uh, visibility for this conference when political leaders, you know, some ideas will go on the desk of Macron, of Olaf Scholz or Mr. Draghi or Sanchez. And those people, those leaders will have to take a stance on them. So this, this is there, this is there to stay. However, there were many um, shortcomings. Uh, I remain enthusiastic about the dynamic, but methodologically, the overall representativeness of the citizens involved in the platform was very limited. You know, we are talking about 50,000 people, mainly pro-European, engaged into European affairs or really anti. So they were the extremes. They were not that, you know, the silent majority wasn't there. The citizens who have been randomly selected, they were quite representative of society, but there was there were a few gaps, right? There were no disabled people. Uh, there were not really minority groups there. And all this weakened a little bit the legitimacy of the process, and this has to be improved. And finally, the quality of the deliberation was not extraordinary. Why? Because how do you make sure all these ordinary citizens were never had the chance to, most of them, to leave from their city, from their country in a mobile European Union, uh, were expected to engage with people coming from another country through um, uh, automatic, uh, sorry, through a, a person-to-person interpretation, right? Some of them, they were looking at me like, hi, it feels weird. It felt weird on me, but I had the experience to do it a few years. And now they are perfectly fit for the job, but it took them a while to get into this, uh, into this dynamic. So the quality of deliberation was poorer than if we had the experiment in one language, in one country, in a more homogeneous, uh, culturally homogeneous group. Uh, but this is the price of democracy, right? We need to invest into this kind of dynamics. We need to be patient and trying to figuring out what we can learn from this exercise and how we can turn it into a permanent European Citizens Assembly. There are many 
versions, uh, many ideas already floating on the air. I have my own idea, my own model that I'm cultivating, that I'm advocating for, and I could briefly present. But the idea is that in the future, it will be possible for a group of citizens randomly selected to actually decide on which issues we should have the citizens on board. So it would be the citizens themselves every two years to say, well, we need to have a major conversation on the cost of carbon. We need to have a major conversation on rethinking about the common agricultural policy. We need to be much more careful on the way in which we govern artificial intelligence and to move faster by increasing the transparency of value. So for this, for each of these teams, we are going to create and convene a citizens' assembly, randomly selected citizens to discuss, meeting the experts, deliberating, and coming up with recommendations so as to have an extra input into the policy process, not just the representatives, but also ordinary citizens. So finally, let me conclude on a very important idea that the future of democracy will rely not only on this representative claim coming from the politicians say, hey, we have been elected, we are supposed to do what we promised the citizens. No, this won't be enough, not any longer. You will also have to take into account as an elected what the citizens on the spot right now, two years after you have elected, are telling you to do. And mixing the participatory input with the representative one will be basically the future of of European democracy. And if we get this right, if we find our way to create a bridge between these two elements, our democracy will be qualitatively better than any other democracy in the world. And that goes very much in line with why you created the Good Lobby, which is this organization that shows that lobbying is not only for big corporations, these big, mean corporations that take it all and a lot of people are against you're also for your talks and everything else you really foster understanding of these other ways of influencing policymakers and you just before our interview you talked that you're opening also maybe a third office in Europe and i was wondering are you also working outside of Europe yes i think the intuition there is to make sure that access to power access to those who take decisions is equalized. So we have to make sure that everybody, not only those with resources, not only those who have a greater voice, not only who those who have networks, do meet the political leaders. Because political leaders are elected to listen and to take into account all interests. And the best way to do so is through lobbying, which for me is a synonym of participation. So lobbying is participation, right? Democracy needs Lobbyist needs people who want to influence the democratic process because, first of all, lobbying is a way to provide information, data, that decision makers, people who have been recruited, you know, to govern us uh, in the administration cannot know everything, right? They are not omniscient. So they need to get the data from the industries, but also from the people and communities affected by those decisions. But then lobbying is also a legitimizer because the more interested are in the room, and seated around the table, the closest the decision we take will be to the public interest. This dynamic is not European only, and I'm coming to your question. It's something that is felt in Latin America at the moment, where you can see also an erosion of democratic values. It's also felt in Asia. It's felt certainly in North America, where we have the most advanced conversation on what a democracy 
should be and should look like today in such a polarized society in which everything becomes political, at least in electoral terms. So, yes, we are trying to engage with Brazil. We are engaging with Canadian partners. We are engaging with Japanese um, authorities already for quite some time. Um, and the same is true for, for, for the U.S., unfortunately, a bit less with Africa, um, a, a, a mysterious continent when it comes to democratic dynamics. But with the, the northern part of, of Africa, we have some relationship both in Tunisia, in Morocco, in our global community, which is basically a community pushing for demystifying, as you said, and democratizing lobbying, we are trying to push for this idea that uh, we need to equalize access to power. We need to create uh, more opportunities uh, to influence decision makers. We shouldn't be afraid of more or too much lobbying. We should be afraid of lobbying by the few, which is basically the status quo. Only a few people getting access and not all the others. Fantastic. And with this, I'd like to thank you for your time and for your wonderful way of explaining the, the beauty and also the challenges of participating in a democracy and the ways that are possible. And uh, for the people that are interested, check the goodlobby.au uh, website to learn a little bit more what they're doing in your country or outside. And if you have other things to, to share, uh, Alberto, just before we leave, you can give a shout out. Yeah, I, I really hope more and more of you will take the time to lobby for good. That means to set aside some of your free time bit less social media or use social media to advocate for, for a cause. So pick your cause, pick your battle, do your homework, create your coalition of people who think like you and expect your government might be at the local, regional, national, European, international level, and just build your lobby. You know, the good lobby, our organization is a factory of good lobbies. So we try to empower individuals, organizations to get a greater voice in order to offset the undue influence exercised by the greater voice, mainly industries, companies, in order to, you know, equalize, level the playing field. This should be the goal. And I wish you good luck. I'm sure it's going to be a rewarding experience because most of the time you learn so much from the process uh, that you want to start again. So be ready to lobby for good. Grazie, Alberto. Thank you. Grazie, Paolo. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Europe Matters. Special thanks goes to my assistant producer, Antonio Mattesini. Let us know who we should interview next by writing a comment and sharing it with your friends on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn using the handle at Europe Matters. Don't forget to leave a review on whichever podcast streaming platform you use. And if you really like this show, the best way to support us is by making a donation on patreon.com. You can learn more at www.europematters.com. Speak to you soon. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 